You need scan for today? All right. Just trying to see what color. Yeah, if you had a sticker on your badge. Ninety-six seven sticker. I passed. Yes, you did. Flying colors. Thank you. In these strange times, if you're a staff member, you need to get your temperature checked before you can enter Metro Health's main campus hospital. But once you do, you notice something startling. This place is quiet. The coffee shop is nearly deserted. The hallways echo. The gift shop is empty. And the normal bustle of patients, docs, nurses, students, and support staff is replaced with the sounds of kind of nothing. There's a reason for that. Right now, at this stage of the COVID-19 crisis, we are preparing. Think of us as a restaurant. It's approaching noon, and we are expecting what might be the biggest lunch rush we've ever seen. We're working quickly to increase the capacity of our dining room. We're clearing and cleaning tables, prepping the kitchen, educating the staff, setting up systems and processes to serve the best possible food to as many hungry people as we can, all while protecting our workers so they can keep serving. It's not the best analogy, so it's probably best to let someone who knows what she's talking about explain things. So I invited Brooke Watts, Metro Health's Vice President and Chief Quality Officer, back into the studio. I'll just do the levels real fast. Can you tell me what you had for breakfast? Did you have anything for breakfast? Um, I had a peanut butter sandwich. That's it? Well, and dates. <laughs> and tea that my husband makes me uh, every morning special. That's really nice that he does that. Yeah, well. <laughs> Hello, I'm John Campanelli, and welcome to Metro Health's Prescription for Hope. I started out by asking Dr. Watts how she thinks things are going. I think we're doing all the right things to prepare um, for, uh, for what, what we expect might be a, a rocky few weeks. I, I really feel good about what we're doing here at Metro Health and in the state of Ohio to make sure that people are gonna be safe. Okay, so uh, yeah, let's start there. What are we doing to prepare? Sure. So uh, most importantly right now, uh, we're trying to minimize um, uh, contacts within our human contacts, which sounds terrible in healthcare, right? But within our healthcare system. And, and that means limiting visit visitors, making sure employees that, you know, or uh, vendors, others that don't need to be here in the building or out. All of our students are gone. We miss them, but it's safer for them to be gone right now. Volunteers um, have been sent home reason we do this is we know that the number one way um, or the number one thing we can do to help uh, prevent the spread of COVID-19 is social distancing. So to keep our employees safe and to keep our patients safe, we need to minimize the number of contacts. So that's number number one. And then secondly, we're um, taking we've taken out all our emergency preparedness plans, which um, every health system has or should have and planning for surges in patients, making sure we have all the right supplies and where are they and how do we get them when we need them. Um, really trying to make sure that we um, have really tight processes of care so we know exactly what's needed to care for what kind of patient in what location. Um, today, for example, we're handing out goggles, um, eye protection to our staff in key areas so they have them handy and ready to go when, they, when and if they need them. What about normal I'm coming in from my yearly checkup 
or I think I have an earache. What about those kind of procedures and visits and appointments? So um, we are offering our patients the opportunity to do those telephonically. Um, I think that's really a best choice right now. If you don't have to come in to a healthcare system, whether it's your doctor's office um, or the hospital, I'd really advise that, that people stay home. So, um, you know, we've converted here at Metro Health, we've converted um, many, many of those visits to telephonic. I think it's a new experience both for the docs and the patients, but I, I actually have a sneaking suspicion that there's better conversations happening now that we're all not fretting about, you know, how, how long it took to park and get in the waiting room and, you know, that, that rooming process. I, I have a funny suspicion that they, we might be having a little bit meatier conversations um, than we, we, we might have otherwise. So I think this is obviously a learning experience for all of us, but perhaps not necessarily all a negative one. So right now it seems quiet here. Uh, and, and how are we doing with space for uh, potential patients and uh, and staffing? Yeah. So right now, because um, particularly here at Metro Health, we've um, cut down on our elective surgeries and elective procedures, um, and we've really encouraged any kind of elective care um, to be postponed. Uh, and then with all the you know the usual folks, everything from the musicians we normally have in our lobby to the you know the volunteers we talked about, not here. It feels a little bit like a like a ghost town, which is a nice place to be as, as we start to prepare. Um, we have a sense that our staff need to be well rested, um, settled, and and feel comfortable and educated. And this is a great time to sort of get that done. You know, I, I feel ready from a healthcare system perspective. Um, I think what's keeping me up right now uh, at night is um, social isolation. And um, I've, we've already had a sense both within our, our hospital and our care environments, but also in the community um, that people, you know, this we have to figure out how to do social distancing um, while still staying together, right? So. How do we stand together while standing apart? <laughs> quite, quite literally. You talked about our caregivers being well rested. It's quiet now. We kind of know a storm might be coming. How how are we going to take care of our caregivers' emotional well-being? Yes. Um, so first things first is to help them feel prepared, right? There's uh, nothing scary, you know, I, it, I've, it's an old adage, at least that I've carried with me for a long time, that uh, people behave badly when they're scared. Uh, so we need to make sure our caregivers are educated, um, that our leaders of those caregivers are educated, um, that they understand and have access to the right kinds of equipment and training so they, they know how to execute proto- you know, the protocols and procedures in a way that they feel safe. That's number one. Um, we are used, we're used to those kinds of things, right? The, the, though this is a particularly large and dramatic event for healthcare, we've dealt with smaller versions of this, you know, con- commonly. It is, you know, we take care of patients who have tuberculosis. We take care of patients, you know, had the H1N1 when there was a large um, epidemic about 10 years ago. So we know how to do this. Um, we just help to help remind people that we do and that they have the right tools and training to do that. And then within that, we just have to take care of each other. And I know it's um, being repeated over and over again, but I think it probably is uh, the best advice out there. You know, it's wash your hands and be kind. Um, 
we're, we need to be patient. We need to be patient. Um, for all of us, there's a lot of, um, again, the uncertainty. And I think the, the more patient we can be with each other, um, the stronger we'll stay for the long term. We also have um, tried, uh, again, to be very deliberate about um, communications with the staff. Um, so they know what our preparations are as a system. So, you know, they know what they need to do as an individual, but they also know what our preparations are as a system so they can feel part of a, a larger movement and a larger care, organi care organization for the community. We've heard about shortages of uh, supplies, personal protective equipment, masks, and also shortages of ventilators. Um, how are we doing with that? And y y when you talked about your first concern, it wasn't that. So how concerned are you about it? This is not my first concern. And the reason this isn't my first concern is that this is something we've been preparing for. You know, we've had emergency pandemic flu plans for years. We have um, been very careful about preparations of emergency supplies. And truthfully, we've been working on COVID-19 since mid to late January when this first began to look like it might be a global problem. So um, of all the things that I'm worried about, I really have confidence right now in our ability to be careful. And this is important, right? We, if we're not deliberate um, about how we use the supplies, then we will have a problem. But I believe that if we're proactive and careful, if we follow the guidelines, the procedures, um, if we act to conserve um, the personal protective equipment, uh, that, that we will be okay. Um, and for folks to understand, that's part of why we have made the decision to dramatically curtail our elective surgeries. Um, surgeries use up a lot of personal protective equipment. So at this point, um, the potential um, benefits of doing an elective surgery simply outweigh the risks and potentially you know, using up a lot of things that we might need down the road. Now, I don't want to get too bleak, but um, people's minds go there. People are scared that if we did start getting hundreds of patients, we have plans for that. Right? Yes. We do, and I want to, you know, uh, we need to remember 80% of these cases are mild, 15% are moderate, so 95% of patients will not require health care. 5% require hospitalization, 1% require ICU stay. So overall, of if we look at widespread infection, and again, we're doing all the right things to flatten the curve, 95% of people shouldn't need health care. And that's why it's really important that we're um, working through our televisit or telephone visits. We're using a lot of our platform that's for, for telemedicine. Um, these, all these things that reduce folks' contact with the system in the sense of physical contact but allow that kind of connectedness that we talked about before, um, those are things that can help us reduce those numbers um, that we may see later on. So I, I, I am not... I don't have a bleak outlook, okay? I have a pragmatic outlook. This is a time to get educated. This is a time to get prepared. 
And I've started to feel like that we've sort of saturated what we need to know and what we need to talk about with this virus. We know what to do. Social distancing. Stay home if you're sick. Wash your hands. That's it, right? That's pretty much it. So now we have to move into that second part. And again, that comes back to how we stand together while we're standing apart. There are lots of vulnerable people in our communities who are vulnerable not just because of COVID-19, but because social isolation can be devastating. So what can we do to support each other while we stand apart? I'd like folks truthfully to focus on that. Also, we have a, we now have a command center upstairs. So this is a, can you describe, this is kind of almost like a, I don't want to say military, but it's a, it's a real kind of brain trust for the system and to work with other systems and stuff. Can you describe like this command center we have? Sure. Um, you know, this is traditional crisis leadership. Um, when we, and f- folks that know me know that I am, I, I read a lot of military strategy. It's sort of an odd, odd, <laughs> uh, an odd hobby, but I do. I read a lot of military strategy, and we know that different kinds of leadership styles and structures are needed for different things. And in a crisis, you need a very authoritative structure. It has to be command and control. It's got to have a clear incident commander, which is at this at this point is Dr. Boutros. And the, our team that, that participates within the incident command each have very defined roles to execute on. And, and the reason we do this is we have to make, be able to make decisions very quickly and, again, very deliberatively. Um, and that isn't, you know, that is, again, it's not a structure that works for everything, right? Um, but it works for thing, situations like this where we have to be act very fast. Um, to protect the safety of the hospital and the community. So we have access within, because of the structure, we have access to all the resources that the systems have um, in a very rapid fashion. And again, it helps us to bring the pieces together so that we really are able to execute exactly what we need to do as quickly as possible to make sure that we keep folks safe, both our employees and our patients. So what are you worried about, John? What am I worried about? You know, driving in, I listened to a a podcast, of course, about uh, Italy. And I just worry about our caregivers getting sick. And I also worry about their their mental health. It's... Yes. So... Um, we do know um, that caregivers who use protective, personal protective equipment seem to have very low rates of acquiring infection. Um, this is a little different than some of the other viruses we've seen in, pa- in the past with the, the SARS um, the, uh, outbreak that we had back a few years ago. There was quite a bit of care- caregiver acquisition. We, we understand uh, what we need to do with personal protective equipment to try to keep ourselves safe when we're taking care of these patients. So I, here's my joke, okay? I have been exposed to bed bugs more times than I can count. I wish somebody would pay me $5 for every time I've been exposed to bed bugs <laughs> because I worked emergency department um, at another hospital in town for more than a decade. And, you know, when I explain that to people, I say, you know, I, I, I've been, exp- you couldn't tell me. And they kind of look at me cross eyed and think, well, why would you do that? Well, that's just the job. I mean, that's what we signed up to do. We signed up to take care of patients and unfortunately if the patient comes in with a heart attack and they've got bed bugs 
well, <laughs> that's just what that's just what you do. So, I, I what I would say is this is part of, of being a healthcare worker that there we take all due precautions to keep folks safe, but there are risks that we take as part of the job. And I think uh, particularly. Um, in systems that care for vulnerable populations that usually have people who have come to terms with that and accepted that that's part of what we hope we're bringing to our community and our society. Um, that we will, you know, it, it isn't, perhaps it isn't different in some ways in thinking about first responders who take risks when they're helping to keep us safe, right? So this is part of our role. It probably, I don't think it's been visible or is visible to the community quite so much um, on a routine basis. I'm not sure everybody knows how much we get exposed to bed bugs, for example, um, or tuberculosis. It's the other one I've personally cared for, you know, hundreds of tuberculosis patients. Um, so this for us is another part of this job. And I think for many, um, we don't see it as a burden. Um, it, it is really more of a calling. Um, so I'm not I'm not worried about our healthcare workers in that way. We know what to do. We can do this. Um, we will, um, if things get um, you know very very busy, um, have to be very careful to watch each other for for burnout um, because you know burnout isn't something that necessarily creeps up on you. It's burnout. So you're going, you're going, you're going, and then you're not okay. <laughs> Uh, so we need to make sure that that doesn't happen for our folks I'm, I'm um, going forward. Um, but I think if we work, you know, really focus on working together as a team and supporting um, supporting each other, again, standing together while we stand apart, <laughs> um, we can do this. We got this. Since Dr. Watts and I talked a couple of days ago, Metro Health has taken further steps to clear the decks to prepare for what might be coming. We've postponed eye and dental exams. We're now offering free home delivery on prescriptions. We've stopped virtually all patient visitation with a few exceptions. We know you have lots of questions and hopefully we have some answers. Our COVID-19 hotline is getting hundreds of calls a day. If you have questions or might be feeling sick, please call 440-59-COVID. That's 440 440- Five nine two six eight four three. Thank you so much for listening. Until we talk again, wash your hands, be kind, and stand together while standing apart.